Good afternoon, everybody. Trust that you guys are all doing well uh, and that you guys had a good week. Um, we're moving into a, a summer month now, uh, warmer weather, which I think we're all very thankful, so praise God for that. And praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ that washes us away from our sin, or washes our, our sin away and gives us new birth in him and the ability to, to live an upright life in obedience to God. Today, we're going to read from Genesis 3, 1 through 7. I know there's one person here that's already heard this sermon. Um, I, I preached this as part of our Christian worldview series during the week, the chapels during, that we have during the week. And so, I'm going to be giving this message to you today. Before I read, I would like to just say a few things that we're, we're coming to God's word. This is God's uh, self-revelation of himself to us. And so it lives and it lasts throughout all ages. And his word is still breathing. And so we uh, must come to it humble uh, and willing to be taught by it. And, and then the second thing I want to say before we read this story is that this is historical fact not historical fiction. There are many people today who will say, oh, this, is, this is just a, a mythology. This is just a metaphor. But you see, if you take away the historicity of the fall of man, you, you lose where sin came from. And I would argue that as you read, the Genesis, as you read through Genesis, you see all of these genealogies. Now, those genealogies are not just there to make reading Scripture hard. I believe that those genealogies are there to tell us that this is history. And we have a witness of how sin and evil came into the world. And so with those uh, points, I'll read God's Word together. Starting at verse 1 of chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Just as there is questioning of God's word going on in this story that we just read, the fall, so too there is questioning of God's word going on in the world today. And this questioning, as we see from our text, it leads to the outright abandonment of God's word. For instance, in the world, 
There are questions concerning the family, uh, questions concerning marriage. Is marriage between a man and a woman, or is marriage legitimate between two men? There are questions going on concerning gender. Is it all right for a man to uh, become a woman? Is it all right for a woman to become a man? There's questioning about uh, the legitimacy of abortion. Is it all right to, to kill uh, babies? There's lots of questions going on pertaining to evil, such as school shootings, shootings that are happening seemingly every day, and questions concerning God himself. Is there a God or is there not? And if there is, who is the right God? All of this questioning going on in society today is happening because the truth, on the one hand, is up against the lie. Lie that that men can marry each other up against God's ordained uh, ordination of marriage between men and women. The lie that abortion is a fundamental right up against the sanctity and the sacredness of life. The lie that men can be women and women can become men. And the lie of of false religions or atheism. Bottom Bottom line, there is a revolutionary spirit going on in our day. And this revolutionary spirit is trying to cut down at the root the Judeo Christian values, the Christian worldview that has been the the predominant worldview for the last two thousand years. But the Bible in this story today is trying to, uh, or tells us, where these lies came from and what led up to the corruption in the heart of men in the world. If you will just turn with me to Genesis 6, verse 5, it says here, Genesis 6, verse 5, it said that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And now if you turn to Psalm 14, Psalm 14, 1 through 3 with me. Psalm 14, 1 through 3 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one, none who does good, not even one. And finally, if you turn to Matthew 15 with me, Matthew 15, 18 through 19. Matthew 15, 18 through 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And so these texts show us that the text that we just read in the Garden of Eden shows us that, that sin came from a lie of the devil. And now, now sin lies in our hearts. Our hearts are corrupt. And today, 
this story that we have read, we will see how the reality of, the, of this, of the heart, has entered into the world. The reality of the corrupt human heart and how it entered into the world. We will consider the fall of humankind. Through one man, sin, sin entered into the world. Adam was created as the representative of all of humanity, and he was tempted and he fell into sin. Thus, he plunged all of his children, all of his seed, all of his posterity into total corruption. And if you, if you accept this, if you believe this story, then you know that sin came into the world because of our common ancestry. If you accept this story, if you believe it with all of your heart, you will understand why there are so many lies being offered up to you and to all people today. Accept it, and you will have obtained the truth as to why people die physical deaths, why our bodies are wasting away. But hear this, if you deny this story, if you, if you live in unbelief, you have an unsolvable problem on your hands. You have no answers as to how sin and evil came into the world. You have no certainty. I believe that it will only lead you to anxiousness, fear, and a, and a, a fe- fear of death that's waiting for you. Death of which there is no getting away from. One of my professors always used to say to us in college, he said, jokingly, but it's true, he said, last time I checked, the death rate is 100%. So what are we doing if we deny this, if we don't believe this story? We're removing ourselves from any dependence on God. We're seeking to be independent of him. We we then stand on our two feet and we say, we're going to go our own way. We're going to pave our own path. But if you see your, your sin, if you see yourself as a corrupt son or daughter of Adam and Eve, then you have taken the first step unto eternal life. The first step being recognizing your sin and your misery, the mock and mire of your misery without which no one will receive eternal life. Without seeing your sin and your misery, you will have no need to then move and turn to Jesus Christ, believing him that he is your savior, trusting in him and being assured of that. You will not do that if you do not see your sin and your misery. And so, as we consider the, the fall of humankind, I just want to consider three things. Three things that come from the text. And this is very important that they come from the text because we uh, pastors or pastoral interns like me, we're we're not up here to give you our, our thoughts, our opinions, but we're here to tell you God's word, to teach you God's word because it is life. But also pay attention that the three things that we will we will look at today, they're also prevalent in the world, as I mentioned, but for mostly prevalent, prominent in our own inward being, in our own heart. And so first let's look at questioning God's word, questioning God's word. Adam and Eve, as we know, they were created in sinless perfection. They were created upright 
for God. God created them, and he established a covenant with them. A covenant. A covenant is basically a relationship. And so God established a relationship with Adam and Eve founded on grace. It's, it was all of grace, but it required obedience to God. And so this relationship with God would only continue as long as they obeyed God. God also, he, he gave Adam and Eve a, a free will in the garden to choose. To choose whether to obey God or whether to obey the lies of the devil and to stop following God. Theologians call this a, a probationary period. And basically what that means is it's a, a period of testing. A period of testing. And so therefore, Adam and Eve's relationship in their, with God in their state of sinless perfection could change. It was a time of testing for them. Were they going to, to follow God in thankful obedience or were they going to pave their own way? In our text today, we see that Eve was tempted. We see that Eve was tempted. Now, why was Eve tempted and not Adam? There are certain scholars who, or people who will say, well, Eve was tempted because women are inferior to man. But, but that is not true. We, if we remember from Pastor Bill's sermon a week ago, I believe, or two weeks ago, he mentioned that God created Adam and Eve as equals, as face-to-face with each other. In God's eyes, men and women are equal. So that idea is false. That's not why Eve, or uh, the devil, tempted Eve. I think if we look closely at the text, it's clear to us why the devil tempted Eve. The devil tempted Eve because she was not created as the representative of humanity. She was not the one who received the command to eat of all of the trees in the garden and not to eat of the one tree. Adam was the one who received that command directly from God. And so Satan, who is cunning and divisive, he goes to tempt the one who did not hear the command from God directly, and it worked. Now that we have looked at uh, why Eve was tempted, who, who is this, this serpent in the garden? Who is the serpent? Well, the, the serpent is a creature created by God, a good creature that was created by God. But the devil, what he did was he indwelt this serpent. Think of it as the first case of demon possession in Scripture. He indwelt the serpent to carry out his will of temptation and evil. John 8, verse 44, and Revelations 12, verse 9, depict Satan as wicked, as a proud fallen angel, the deceiver of the whole world, the father of lies, a murderer from the beginning, and formerly the prince among the angels. His sin was pride. He fell. He's a fallen angel because of pride. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be in God's position. And thus, he became the instrument of temptation. What did Satan do when he tempted Eve? What was he setting out to do? As we look at the text... Did God actually say, 
Satan put a question mark on God. Did God actually say? He puts a question mark on the reality of God. He puts a question mark on the goodness of God. He puts a question mark on the authority of God's word. And so through one question mark, the devil led Adam and Eve and all of humanity, both all astray. He started with what seems like a, an innocent question or a harmless question. And he made it seem as though he was in their best interest, that it was for their good. Logically, proceeding from quest, the questioning of God's word, we, we move to adding and taking away from God's word. As we see in this, as this, te- in this text, Eve adds to God's word and she takes away from it. She said that God told them they could not touch the fruit. But God never said that. If you go back into chapter 2, you, you will see this. He never said that they could not touch the fruit. And so by adding to the word, you shall not touch the fruit, she made the command from God seem too severe. She made it seem too severe. And so we see that the misrepresentation of God's word is already a sin even before she ate of the fruit. Eve then, she takes away from God's word. She removes the words every and surely. Again, if we go back to chapter 2, we'll see that God said you may eat of every tree. And that God says, if you eat of the one which I commanded you not to eat, you will surely die. And so Eve removes the words, every and surely. And so, by taking away from God's word, you shall surely die. She weakened the command not to eat of the fruit. She weakens the command by softening it. Lest lest you die is what she said, rather than surely you will die. So we see here that we see a perversion of God's word. And the perversion of God's word leads to the questioning of his authority, thinking that we or somebody else might know better. And in, in doing that, you question God's inherent goodness. And we see that the commands from God came to Eve's mind as a sort of restriction or boundary rather than a blessing that would, would, a command of blessing that would bless her as she lived her life in communion with God, as she lived her life in obedience to God's word. And so, What follows is uh, pride and unbelief. She thought that the command that was given by God was out of worry and selfishness. That God was worried that upon them eating the fruit, they, they would become like him. That God was withholding becoming him, uh, like him from them. And moving from the questioning of God's word to adding to it and taking from it, we now move to the the total abandonment of God's word. Satan abandoned God's word and then he 
deposits, it gives out his own. He says that God knows if you do it, you will become like him. Now God is a, he's a liar in Satan's eyes. He's, he's motivated by jealousy, issuing the command to keep man and woman inferior to him. The devil makes sin seem good when he says that you will become like God. And, so, and from here we, we learn the, the true nature of the serpent. He is a slanderer and an adversary of God. He is a liar. Here we also learn the, the root of sin, which is the denial of God. It's the rejection of him in relationship, and it's to set out to determine for oneself what is good and what is evil apart from God. The root of sin is a lie. And thus the devil's gospel, if you will, the devil's good news is this. There will be no future punishment and there will be no present judgment for your sin. Abandonment of God's word is precisely what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that they were strictly forbidden to eat. And then they severed themselves from God. They cut themselves off from God. They stood on their two, own two feet and they, they paved their own path. They, they went their own way. They became gods in and of themselves. Gods with a, a lower G, if you will. They put themselves on the same level as God. One, one theologian says it like this. He says, by violating the command of God in eating of the tree, they would make themselves like God in the sense that they would position themselves outside and above the law and like God determine good and evil for themselves. Thus the, the consciousness of sin came into effect. Both Adam and Eve knew that they were naked. They knew that they became polluted. They were conscious of their guilt before God. They knew that their whole body physically and spiritually became instruments of sin. And then we see that they tried to, to cover themselves up by their own works, right? They, they sowed fig leaves and they tried to cover themselves up, but it did not work. And, and true fellowship and communion with God was lost. And so we see that taking the road of separation from God and his word cannot and did not bring true happiness. It will not lead to happiness. The, the thirst for independence from God only leads to death and destruction. It led to the total corruption of their nature. Yet, humanity and Adam and Eve opted for this route. We, we went this way. We see this today, don't we? All people have gone astray. Each one has turned him or her to their own way. We all seek satisfaction by determining for ourselves what is good and what is evil. We listen to our feelings as we, we search out our truth and as we heed the devil's lies. And so because of the fall of humankind in Adam, all people are marked by the three things that we just covered. 
the questioning of God's word, the adding and taking away from it, and the complete abandonment of it. The proof of this, as I, I alluded to earlier in the beginning, in society, is, is, it's clear. We see this in the continuation of the sexual revolution in the LGBTQ plus community. We see this as express, expressive individualism rages on where we can all have our own truth and follow our own feelings to become our best selves. All of humanity makes themselves like God, gods, determining what is good and what is evil. Yet, it is so easy, right, to just point the finger outward. So easy. I do it more than, than anybody. But when we take a good, hard look at ourselves, we see that we do this ourselves on a personal level. Believers and unbelievers alike, we do not submit to God's word as we should. But we go our own word, our own way. What I'm trying to say is that we are all on the same playing field. No one is better than another. The church and the world are no different. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have gone our own way. And oftentimes, I would posit that the church is, is worse than the world. But the only difference is the grace of God. That is the only difference between the church and the world. And I'm not talking about the outward church. I'm talking about the, the spiritual reality of the church. Th those who are united to Christ. Grace is the only difference. In Adam, we are all relationship breakers, covenant breakers. But there is good news. The Bible is not just about one representative. It's about two representatives. Adam, the representative, the one, the representative of humanity, the one who fell into sin, the one in whom we fell with, has headship over us in that, in that way. And this, the second representative is Christ, the one who did what Adam could not do. The one who lived a life on this earth to perfection, imperfection. He lived that life to a T. He obeyed God's covenant demands completely. The one who willingly met those demands, who suffered and who died for sinners. You and I, we, we need a savior. We need someone who will freely and willingly bear the wrath of God in our place. We need a savior, someone who will make us right with God, someone who will restore our relationship with him, someone who will take our unrighteousness, our sin on himself and give us his righteousness in return. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And because of Jesus' life and death, there was established a new covenant, a covenant or relationship of grace between God and humankind. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. 
But you understand, don't you, that if you do not have someone in your place, you, sh- you will not have everlasting life. But you will, you will meet a judge upon your death and you will face eternal suffering in hell. And so do not, ca- do not wait, do not tarry, but cast yourself as a sinner on Jesus Christ today. Trust in him as your savior today. Have the assurance that he is yours, that you are in him. And, and moving forward, continually do this every day. This is what we must do every day. We must wake up and not look to ourselves, not to look to our sin, our shame, and our guilt, but we must instantly turn to Christ. We must. Do not wallow in your sin and shame, but every day turn to Jesus Christ. And now there, there, there is the, the warning, do not wait, do not tarry to, to cast yourself on Christ, but there must also go forth another warning. The warning to not rely on your, your so-called good works or your own righteousness before God. Sometimes we, we, have, we, we think, oh, we might be a decent or good person, and yeah, I need a Savior, but I, I'm a pretty good person, and I think God, he will accept me. But if this is what you're telling yourself, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. It is only through Jesus, Jesus alone, Jesus apart from your, your, your so-called works, Jesus apart from any nagging idea that you might have that believes I am good enough. Go to God broken. Go to God a wretched sinner. This is who he delights to save. He says in the Psalms, a broken and contrite heart I will not despise. Now do you see the wonder and the beauty behind this? Do you see, you see it? Do you recognize it? Everybody else in this life makes you measure up. You have to meet some sort of standard. But with God, you do not have to measure up with God. Isn't that amazing? You do not have to measure up to God. If you believe in Christ, God sees you right now as perfect. He sees you as perfectly obedient as completely holy and set apart from him for him and so cast yourself upon Christ confess your sin and receive his righteousness by faith this is faith it's precisely union with Christ being united with Christ and so as we've gone through this message, we, we see the logic here, I hope. I, I hope we see that there is, there's sin, there's corruption and evil, and then there's grace in Christ, the mediator, the, the go-between, the one between God and man. But the third thing we need to see is, is thankful obedience. A lot of people will say, well, if salvation is all of grace and it's unconditional, well, then aren't people just going to live sinful lives and just do what they want? But that is a false claim. That is a lie. For if you are in Christ and you have received him, you will not ever utter those words. You will want to live every day out of thankfulness for, to him. But that doesn't mean that you're going to do it perfectly. No, 
we still live in the body of the flesh. And now I want to just close with a few questions to, to, different, to, two, to two sets of people, people who might be in two different places in life, if you will. As a believer, I want to ask these questions. How, how will you live? What, what, what are you going to let the word of God do to you in your life? What fruit are you going to allow it to bear in your life? Well, do good to your neighbor, to any and everybody who comes across your path. Take the time to reach out to them, talk to them, uh, encourage them in, the, in their faith, uh, influence them uh, for Christ. Maybe uh, volunteer in your local community or uh, empty your, the dishwasher at home or, or whatever it may be. And, and then to an unbeliever, maybe somebody who totally rejects God, but also to somebody who might say, well, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I read scripture and it is true. I, it answers questions in life. It, it tells of how sin and evil came and it offers up hope. But I'm just not quite there yet in my belief. Well, to, to you, to, to the person who is maybe showing interest in spiritual things and to the person that is an unbeliever, but that's here, I just, I just want to, to say, continue to, to come to church. Come to a place where you can hear the word preached. So the word that is preached is God's chief means whereby he works salvation and faith in the hearts of people. That's his chief means. Now, salvation and faith is only worked by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that. But he uses means. And the chief means is the preaching of the word. Secondly, read scripture. Every day, read a couple verses or a chapter. Or every week. And then thirdly, pray. Pray to God and ask God, God, I have a hard heart. Can you make that soft? Can you work true repentance in my life? Can you draw me to Jesus Christ? I desperately need it. I see my need. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we are, we are sinners. And most of us are aware of this. Every day we are burdened and oftentimes overburdened by our sin to the point of anxiety or fear or doubt. But you, but God, but you, you have entered into this world through your, uh, by your word. Your word entered to this world and became flesh, Lord. Jesus Christ came to this, this world to, to lift us up, to bring salvation, to remove doubt and fear and to give us faith in its place, Lord. But we yet live in this body of flesh. And although we might have faith and assurance, Lord, we still doubt and fear and sin from time to time, Lord. I pray that you would keep our eyes fixed on you every day. That for every look at sin in our lives, we would take ten looks at Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would be humble Christians. That as we live in this world, as we see the sin and wickedness going on in the world, that we wouldn't, 
we wouldn't have a posture of just pointing the finger but pointing it back on us and saying, we are the same. We would be doing the same thing if it were not for you, God. And we want to share that gospel every day in our lives with the people that we meet, Lord. So I pray, and I pray this knowing that you will accomplish it. In Jesus' name, amen.